electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the tech route, whether it's about to see a big reversal, whether we're in the midst of that now. We discuss and debate that with our investment committee right now. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, and Surat Sethi. Take a look at stocks. We'll take you to the wall. The Nasdaq especially getting that great big bounce today. Remember, the Dow hit a new intraday all-time record high just one day ago. So this is where we'll start. Josh Brown, is this the beginning of a big tech bounce back? I mean, today is a big tech bounce back. It doesn't need to be the beginning. ARC is up 9%. The MTUM uh, uh, momentum ETF is up 4 or 5%. So it's happening right now. The question is, is it sustainable? And do most of these stocks get back to their previous highs? I would say probably most don't, but some will. And so this becomes a, a, the type of market where you say to yourself, if I miss the Shopify's and the squares of the world, and I've been watching them for the last year and saying, I can't believe I didn't get in on that. Well, the majority of these names are down between 25 and 50 percent. So this is where you would buy those and add them to your portfolio. If you had too much of that stuff, if you were loaded to the gills with the Teladocs and the DocuSigns and Twilio and Zillow and on and on, this bounce gives you the chance to lighten up. So I would say that it's a Rorschach test. What, what did you hate the most about your portfolio before this huge moment where value went crazy to the upside and, and tech got killed? How do you want to address it today? So from my perspective, there are some names I like a lot for the ultra long term. PayPal's on that list. Uh, Zoom is on that list. These are stocks that I have a very low cost average. So if I were to buy them right now, I would be averaging up. But I may do that because they're names that I think I'm getting at a big discount. Uh, relative to where they could be in the future. Okay. But that doesn't apply universally across the board. No, I hear you. Uh, look, there are a lot of other stocks that are down a lot, and you obviously are not looking to pick those up on whatever discount some people may think exists. Uh, Surat, however, uh, you must think we're at the end of the tech route because you're buying Facebook and you're buying some chip stocks too. You've got Qualcomm and NVIDIA that you've been adding to. So tell me how that factors into your perspective on where we are. So I think to Josh's point, I'm looking for long-term holdings that have come down quite a bit. Core holdings that I have, and I've got new money added. I want to own NVIDIA. I want to own Qualcomm. I agree with Josh on PayPal. I think these are the long-term secular growth players that I think as we get through the cycle of interest rates going up and value performing, these are stocks that are fundamentally going to grow, have great cash flow, and have, you know, for, for NVIDIA, for, for Qualcomm, you get 5G in front of it. I've even added to American Tower. That's a tower company that's down almost 10% this year. So I like that. I mean, I'm barbell because I'm overweight financials. I've got almost 17% of my portfolio in financials. So this is a way for me to add growth into, 
an area that I've been a little bit underweight or for clients that have added new capital. Let's talk about, Steph, what we think is, is potentially on sale, oversold, um, maybe going to ride a wave of a tech bounce back if you do believe that we're going to get that. Josh alluded to the big stocks that are down a lot, okay? Uh, and everybody owns pieces of these. Uh, Apple's down 17% from its high. Amazon's down 14% from its high. Facebook's down 13%. Netflix is down 14%. Is it time to buy these stocks, Steph, like Surratt has? Are we at the end of this route? Well, I have been focusing on semiconductor, semi-cap equipment names because I like the end markets. Um, you do get data center, cloud, AI, 5G, all of that. Um, you get auto, you get industrial, and the valuations are very reasonable. And I don't think they're nearly as crowded as, uh, as the FANG stock. So FANG to me, I'm underweight FANG, but I am way overweight on Alphabet. That's the one name I'm placing my bet on. It's only down 5% from its high, but I think the operating leverage story for 2021 is really very exciting for them. But the other names, we talked about Broadcom and how I added to that on Friday after the quarter, beat and raise and the stock fell. And I love that combination because I think it's just a short-term reaction. But I really still do very much like NXPI. It's down 14% from its high. It's a very wild, tra crazy, crazy trading name. But it is auto, which is 40% of their business. They have 11% market share. Uh, and contact less payments. We all know about that. So I think that's 14% uh, of their business. So I actually like that name a lot. They just increased the dividend by 50%, a new $2 billion buyback. I also like LAM Research on memory spend uh, and recovery. DRAM is very strong, but NAND is not. And that's the second half of the year story. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Fortinet, cybersecurity. So I can find places in tech, Scott, but I think you have to ask the question, why did tech sell off in the first place? And it's a function of higher interest rates, better economic growth, inflation break-evens going higher, and mean reversion. It was The XLK was up 94% from the March lows. So little mean reversion, fine. So you pick and choose the ones you want, where you want to be. I still do believe very, very strongly that in a year's time, we are going to have higher interest rates because we're going to have faster growth and a little bit more inflation. And I think you want to have, we've talked barbell, I have less of a barbell these days with 70% cyclicals, 30% defensive quality tech, but I still think you want to have that as your strategy into this year. All right, Pete, techs come down a lot, okay? If you believe yeah. that David Tepper is right in what he told Squawk Box yesterday, that the sell-off in treasuries is likely over, the major market risk has been removed, you know, largely talking about the direction of interest rates, then you must believe that some of these stocks have come down, Pete, too much. Yeah. He mentioned that Amazon looks attracted so to him. Who knows what he thinks about some of those high-flying tech names that have come down themselves. Don't know if he's looking to buy any of those. Maybe he thinks some of those are attractive too. I don't know, but if you think that the sell-off in treasuries is likely over, Pete, how can you not like some of these tech stocks? Right. No, you make a great point. And then the only reason I would say I can not like a few of them is because they still have the same problem they had before. Uh, when you look at how stretched a number of these various names are that we all know those names and we talk about them all the time. And they're somewhere in technology or they're somewhere maybe at a Peloton or whatever it might be, Scott. But, uh, you know, I'm not ready and prepared to jump into those types of names, those high P.E. names that really were able to flourish in, in an incredibly great way, obviously, throughout the pandemic. But as we're starting to open the door, possibly, and we're seeing this more and more across the country, we've heard it with the airlines and we've heard it with a lot of the different travel sites and everything else that things are starting to loosen up. I'm not saying they're wide open, but they certainly are starting to reopen. And if that's the case, I think there's a lot of those names that still 
Oh, we'll try and get Pete back. We obviously lost his mic. Well, I can tell you somebody else is not worried about what's happening in technology. That is the aforementioned Kathy Wood. Josh Brown was talking about the ARC funds. Kathy Wood was on the closing bell yesterday. She's not worried because she says, I've been here before. I've seen this movie before. Here's what she said. This happened to us in the fourth quarter of 2016 as well. Uh, right after uh, President Trump was elected, uh, the stock market took off because tax rates were going to go down and so forth. And so the market started pricing in a very strong cycle, uh, which was correct. Uh, in that period of time, our, our strategies went negative. And what I said at the time and what I believe now is that the bull market was broadening out to incorporate value or more cyclical sectors. And I thought that was going to be very good news for our strategy longer run. All right. Painful. Yeah. Okay. Perspective a lot from Kathy Wood right there. Josh Brown, she right, right? We're having a broadening out rally in the bull market and it's all good in the long term. She has a five-year time horizon, all right? So you can afford to be a little more patient maybe than uh, the, the average Joe out there who's looking for a little more bang a little quicker. Kathy Wood is absolutely right. And... You know, she seems to a lot of observers as like an overnight, like she got lucky or something or bought a lottery ticket. She's been in this business for decades. She knows exactly what she's doing and she knows what she's talking about. Her strategy happens to be to concentrate in innovative stocks. And she understands to some extent that's going to be a live by the sword, die by the sword uh, endeavor in certain market environments. But I want to I go back to this thing about how higher interest rates uh, mean mean uh, trouble for technology. It's actually not true. The XLK um, in the last rate rate hike cycle, which is the fall of 2015, right through uh, through let's say the winter of 2018. So that three year period where you had Treasury rates go, uh, you had the 10 year Treasury rate go up 50 uh, 50 percent. At the same time, the XLK, the the technology sector in the S and P 500, went up 100 percent. So I'll repeat that. The 10-year Treasury rate up 50% and tech stocks doubled. So it's actually not true that if we are in a rising rate environment, tech will continue to underperform because that's not the way it went last time. But what about what the highest true? of high multiple Kathy stocks, did, though, right? That, that's what we're talking about here. I know there. that we're let putting a blanket there. over what technology. Is, we're talking about the highest of high multiple, high-flying stocks, the likes of which that Kathy Wood has invested in, the likes of which are yeah, down let me get, a lot. Okay. Let me, Right? Let me just let me get there quickly. Let me get there quickly. That is, what is true is that when there is a risk-free rate of return, that does become competitive with the highest multiple stocks. And they don't have to be tech. They can be healthcare. They can be consumer discretionary. That is true. But the other thing, which has not been mentioned here, and is the most single most important factor, is as we've said on the show numerous times, eventually the underwriters and Wall Street sell side would blow up the market with supply. Eventually, they would drown us. We got to a point in late February where they, would, they did five SPAC IPOs a day over the course of five business days. That was the tipping point. Rates are an easier story to tell, and rates were rising to coincide with that. But the truth is, what really hurt the ARK stocks is that there were just too damn many of them to choose from, and that puts pressure on the multiples across the board. And that 
is something that we're going to have to work through now, and not every stock is going to make it back from that. Yeah. Look at what we're doing now in so the market, by point, the way. So oh, hang on, Steph. Let me just point out for everybody, we're at the highs okay. of the day um, right now. You can see this massive rally we're having back in the NASDAQ right now. Better than, uh, well, 465. Uh, that's more than 3.5% for the NASDAQ. So that is a gigantic bounce back. Dow hit a new all-time intraday high yesterday, so it's adding to that today. It's up 300 now. Steph, sorry, just want to point that out for everybody to get the lay of the land as we have this conversation here. Yeah, no, and I think that Josh makes good points, but it's with the composition of the XLK, right? I mean, the top positions, Apple, Microsoft, but also Visa, MasterCard, NVIDIA, Intel, Adobe, they are not the high flyers. Some of them are a little expensive. I would say NVIDIA is expensive, but I get that. I understand why. Um, I think Microsoft is expensive. I get that. I know why. Um, but I just think that these high, it's to your point, Scott, exactly. It's the high multiple stocks. It's the growth, really aggressive growth momentum so, uh, stocks that take it on the chin when interest rates rise. So you have to look at what's inside the XLK because it wasn't it wasn't high flyers, right? It was actually sure. names that you could justify. Well, it's in part it's where the money went, right? It's 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 more right. painful because yeah. so much money went in. So when so much money comes out of that concentrated part of the market, the names like the Teslas, the Teladocs, the Cloudflares, the Pelotons, the Rokus, the Zooms, the Shopify's, the DocuSigns, the Splunk, the Spotify, the Square, the Twilio's, the PayPal's, the Dots, the S&P. What's that? Scott, those are not even they're, they're not even in the index, though. Those are in the Russell 3000. The, the most egregious valuations are not even indexed. Like, SPACs are not in indexes. Snowflake is not yet in an index. Uh, Peloton, like, go down the list. They're not even members of the S&P. They don't even matter yet for that part. So when I say the XLK, I agree with Stephanie. That's a shorthand for large cap tech mm -hmm. and large cap consumer discretionary and large cap con communications. Um, you don't have those like relatively newcomer companies with negative earnings, those aren't even in there. No, That's a whole different I get you. Uh, part of the equation. I hear you. They, they, they are somewhat representative, though, of a mania, for a lack of a better description, of yeah. the kinds of stocks that have drawn tremendous numbers of investors, even new investors, Agreed. who have gone that Agreed. way. Okay? And, and, and Scott, Scott, you're, you're right. I mean, these are, let's just call it what it is. These are companies that people invested in for price to sales okay there were no price to earnings they were great stocks to hold a year ago starting a year ago for three six months when we had no clarity as to a reopening and now there are other alternatives and when there are other alternatives do you want to be in those companies that are just you know price to any sale or do you want to be in real companies that are growing cash flow that multiples have come down just not just on the growth side but on the other side, as Stephanie said, you know, there's 70% of our portfolio. These are companies that are going to grow for the next four, six, eight, 12 quarters that we had no clarity, no visibility on a year ago. I know, but they said the same thing about Amazon, however many years ago it was. You really want to buy a stock with that multiple? What's the growth strategy? Where are books going <laughs> from here? All these book companies are going out of business. What's going on there? Next thing you know, you start to grow into your multiple for a very select group of companies. Maybe some of these on this list, if not all of them, will be just that. Let's bring in our headliner, Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist, Mike Wilson, joins us now on the phone. Mike, good to see you again, or at least good to talk to you. Thanks, Scott. Good to be with you. You don't think that this growth or this tech correction is over yet? Is that right? Well, I think, look, I think your panel is describing the situation well, which is it's, it's not tech per se. It's uh, expensive stocks, with, and some of those happen to be in the tech bucket. There's also expensive stocks in biotech, and there's expensive stocks in 
you know, even in non-tech groups, okay? And, and what's really changed in the last, you know, two or three months is that the bond market has woken up to the idea that actually the back end is going to move out. And so the narrative three months ago was that, well, rates can't go up, they won't go up, the Fed won't let it happen. But here we are at 150, 160. And so now the equity market is accepting this idea that was inevitable, and we're adjusting. So I don't think this is, you know, the end of the bull market or the end of tech stocks per se, but it was an adjustment that was very necessary. And it's good. Now, today, obviously, we're rocketing back. Um, you know, the volatility over the last week or so, I mean, that's not telling me that it's over, right? In other words, when you go at 4% in a day, it just tells me things are still volatile and the market's still adjusting. So, yeah, I think the adjustment process on valuations is ongoing. The bull market is also ongoing. It just happens to be the leadership now is away from this area. Okay, well, what happens if Tepper's right and the sell-off in treasuries is likely over? So rates are now going to stabilize after spooking everybody out by going up pretty fast, pretty far relative to where they were. What if that has now subsided? Doesn't that change things? Well, I mean, I, t- I kind of agree. I mean, the move in rates was a, it was a nonlinear move that you know, we sort of expected. And then there will be some consolidation here. But the, the rate of change is so dramatic that now people have to accept the idea that rates will probably go up again at some point. So here's the, here's the question, Scott, I think you have to ask yourself. The stock market now knows that, right? So now the stock market has to believe the idea that, hey, maybe the Fed isn't going to curtail the back end, or they, don't, or they can't, or they shouldn't. I mean, because the economy is going to be booming. And so the equity market will move in front of that. Just like the equity market moved in front of the recovery last year, valuations are going to come down for these longer duration areas. So once again, it doesn't mean that all these stocks are at risk and they can't work over time, but this adjustment process I don't think is over. I know, but why is your base case then right where we are now for the S&P 500? You got 3,900. We're sitting literally right there as we're having this conversation. If, you know, the bull market is intact, we're going to have a booming economy. We know where, why rates are going up. What's the problem? No problem at all. We just want to own the stocks that are going to go up, and we want to avoid the ones that are going to continue to see valuation compression. By the way, this is very normal at this stage of any recovery. Right? That's why we made that call at the end of last year, which is you know, during the recession is when you get the big multiple expansion. That's when you have the big returns. Then you typically have a year of consolidation at the index level, and you get a rotation. And you know, that's, that's how we're positioned. We're, we're levered to the areas of the market that have the most operating leverage to a booming economy. And those stocks have worked extremely well. So we're going to play it at the stock level, bull market, as opposed to at the index level. I know, but you're still basically telling me that the S&P is going to do zero between now and the end of the year, right? I mean, that, that's where we're sitting right now. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? That's, that? You still have a bull market in stocks, and you can still be in a very good environment for investing. It's just not, once again, it's just not at the index level because the index is, by the way, the S&P 500 is a large cap growth index and growth is slowly moving out of favor and value is taking its place. Let's bring in the panel. Who wants in? Who wants in? Raise your hand. Give me the box shot, please. Who wants in? Josh Brown, you're in. All right. No, you know what? I hadn't heard from Uh, Pete in a while. Hang on one second. I haven't heard from Pete in a few moments. Pete, go ahead. Go to Pete. Go ahead, man. 
All right, so here's, here would be my question, Mike, and, and great to see you, and it's, it's awesome to have you on. So my question is, do we have to have some concerns out there when we're talking about multiples of stocks that have nothing to do with price to earnings, but it, we're doing it against price to all these other, other areas of the marketplace, sales or whatever it might be? Isn't that sort of uh, something that really should stick out to us as, in terms of what's really the volatile area of the markets right now? Well, yeah, I mean, Pete, you, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, we're in a we're in a shifting market. So one of the things we've been writing about over the last couple of months is that I mean, what's happening now is somewhat predictable. As you anniversary the the crash from last year, right? The the big laggards in that decline are now the twelve month price momentum leaders. Okay, and as we all know, everybody's a price momentum follower. We all do it, and that's where the money goes. And that money is now being forced to shift into these parts of the market that have been underperformers for years because they are now actually performing the best. So you've got a lot of different levers kind of forcing money to move from what were the leadership groups to new leadership groups. And and that's a terrific investment environment if you're in front of it. If you, you know, if you got ahead of this move, and then I think that at this point, it's pretty obvious. The momentum is shifting. Josh? So I want to ask you, and this is not specifically about Snowflake, but this type of stock. So here's a company where, and I know you're not the analyst covering software stocks, but just hear me out. A, a large portion of investors spent the last year in the IPO market when something came public, whether they got a piece of it on the deal or they bought it in the secondary market. They almost like conditioned themselves, just pull the trigger, buy it, because the IPO market is red hot and these stocks keep going up. And that really did work well for a while. Now you have a lot of trapped money. And I'm curious what you, what you would advise, let's say, the wealth managers at Morgan Stanley to say to people who are still in these stocks. Snowflake is an example. Here's a company that's 50% lower than its high. Like, it only took three months for this company to lose half its market cap. The analyst at Morgan that covers it is basically calling it uh, an equal weight which I guess is a sell, but you can't really say sell because they're an underwriting client. Like, what do you do if you're trapped in these names? Are you adding to them right now? Or do you take a loss and say, I'll go chase the value thing because maybe for the next six months I can make some of my money back? Like, what, what's the house view on, let's say, these 100 stocks that were hot as hell and now nobody wants them at half the price? Like, what, what do we do? Yeah, well, I mean, first, software is one component of that, Josh, as you know. I mean, there's a lot of different areas that have uh, kind of, you know, captured people's imagination. You know, our solar, our software biotech, team, EV. Yeah, it's all over the place. Right. Exactly. So, so it's not just software. But, I mean, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll say right now, I mean, our, our analyst, Keith Weiss, on the software stocks has been terrific. He downgraded software last summer. They underperformed. And he just upgraded it this week as a group. And, but he's been very uh, okay. prescriptive in suggesting, look, there's going to be some winners here and there's going to be some losers. Right, one of the things that, from a macro standpoint, just you know, thinking back to the '90s, they can't all win. Right, we've had so much new issuance of great companies, but they can't all have a fifty billion dollar TAM. So the idea here, once again, is let's find the ones that are going to be the big winners, and then try to avoid the ones that aren't. Okay, that's the game here. It's a stock picking environment. You know, that's what that's what you guys do. That's what we do, and that's the macro environment we're in now, probably for the next year. Well, all right. We'll see what happens. We'll talk to you soon. Mike, appreciate it as always. That's Mike Wilson. He's Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist. Speaking of snowflakes, speaking of stock picking, speaking of enterprise software, 
Brad Gerson is going to be with us tomorrow, gang. Looking forward to that. Uh, he always has broad market views, and he always has some stock picks to talk about, too. So we're going to catch up with Altimeter Capital CEO Brad Gerson. I can't wait for that tomorrow. Uh, we will talk to him then. Speaking of big winners, Boeing is a winner today. Disney is a winner of late. Surat, so Disney's got a shareholders meeting um, today. I know you wish you could be there. Stand up, raise your hands in the air, right? Because you've been riding this since last March. You try to say in the notes, too, that I beat you up in March uh, after buying it, that you bought a ton of it. Now, I don't really remember that. Uh, I don't think I beat you up for it. Now, I might have been a little snarky Oh, yes, you did, I might have been you, a little snarky about it. You even asked me if I was good on Google. <laughs> yes. You've clearly well, gotten, you've come, and beat up in my year, words you've come a long way in a year, Sarah. You've come a long way in a year. You've clearly yes, gotten so. over it. You, you, you know I'm sensitive. I know. I know. I was probably a little snarky. But what uh -huh. now? The stock's 200 bucks, right? Or, or just about. Let me look at it right yeah. here. Where's Disney at now? It's like 200 yeah, bucks. I mean, two, two, just, just shy of that. It's 200. It, it, it's done everything and more, Scott. It is, you know, uh, if you ask me, would it be 200 a year ago? I would say absolutely not. I was buying it because it had a strong management team and a strong brand. Did I think where Disney Plus was going to be today? No. You know, and, and we don't even have uh, the amusement parks open. To me, it's a hold. I'm not aggressively adding to this position. Um, what I'm looking at is, you know, other areas that I think I, I could be in, but it's a hold. I think they've got to grow into their earnings, but I'm not going to sell it at this point. I think the future is so bright for this company um, that, uh, that I think, you know, it's a core holding in the portfolio. See, Surat, even you didn't believe last March that it was going to be at $200. So all this stuff about me beating you up is complete no. nonsense. You agreed with me when I questioned you about it. And say 200 I said it was going to do very well. Yeah. Well, Dan Loeb had some good ideas, too, and uh, they followed him in that letter that we talked about on this show the day that it broke. And that stock is at it was like 135, right, to, to 200. All right, let's talk Boeing. Yeah. Uh, big yeah. rally today. You saw Phil LeBeau on the network a little earlier talking about these big orders. Boeing was leading the Dow. Stephanie Link, you own Boeing. I do. It's my largest industrial, actually, and the stock is still down double digits from last year. So I still think you can buy it today. I think, you know, the, the premise is aviation gets better, reopen happens, people start or, or going away, and then companies start buying more planes. And the reason the stock is up today is because orders were up 31, uh, to 31 planes in the month of February alone, the first positive month in over a year. So the momentum is building for sure. They're fixing that 737. They're producing that 737 max. The 777 has problems, but they took charges already for it. I mean, I think they kitchen synced the uh, fourth quarter and the guidance. And so liquidity of 25 billion, I, I think this is a definite name for, if you're looking for reopen, this is one of them. Pete, you own Boeing calls? Yeah, I do. I'm not quite as convinced as Steph is on this name at this point in time. I still, I love, for all the reasons you just stated, Steph, it makes a lot of sense to me. But I, I you know, there's always seems to be that stumble for, for Boeing. So I'd rather use it through the options, trade it through the options, it gives me a much better opportunity to be a little bit more nimble. But I fully agree with you, Steph. I think they have done a lot of things the right way. They continue to do things the right way. And I think that's part of the reason we're seeing that stock start to make these moves to the upside. I can tell you this. There has been nothing but positive buying paper option-wise in this name, what seems to be for the last few weeks or so. And the stock has done pretty well. It's had some pullbacks with the market, but generally we've had a pretty nice per performance from Boeing. I'll say so. 233 is where we currently sit. Pretty nice performance yeah. today, too, for the major averages. We are 
I'd say highs of the day. Let's take a look before we head to break here. Big bounce back for NASDAQ today. Three and three quarters percent, 471 points. Dow's up better than one percent. The S&P's up two percent. And you see all the way on the right hand side of your screen, there's the 10 year yield. One five five. Next up on the half, six big buy calls in retail. We'll debate them and we'll do it in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. All right, big time green across the board. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now with a number of news or calls of the day on retail. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So, yeah, a slew of calls from City. So the firm is naming floor and decor one of its top picks with a $107 price target. So analysts say it's one of the best retail growth stories and it's a category disruptor. Two pandemic outperformers also included. City giving AutoZone a $1,424 price target. Firm notes that its increased share in the professional space, you can see shares are pretty much flat. And advanced auto parts goes to 193 a share. So they believe that there's strong potential here for margin expansion. Shares are trading, by the way, at levels not seen since April 2019. Lowe sees its price target raised to 195 a share. City likes the company's increasing margins, even with declining sales, and sees Lowe's Scott continuing to gain share. Lowe's rival, Home Depot, that's going to 288 a share. Note points out that even with the threat of rising rates, strong housing market, the strong consumer, both outweigh the risk. And the one sell for City in this list, Best Buy, $86 price target. Firm says that promotional activity appears to be heavy and that investment spend will really hurt margins. Stock that was up 60% in the last year. Scott. Yep, nice run, 63.5% uh, for Best Buy. It is down 12.5% from its 52-week high. So we'll keep our eye there. Rahel, thank you. Uh, speaking of highs, Dow hits a new record high, up 338 points, 32,100, and we'll call it 40. And now it just hits that as I said it. So thankfully it played along. All right, Pete, you got a lot of moves to talk about as usual. Pete always keeps us busy. You got call. You bought calls in Ford, American Airlines, BlackBerry. Let's take those three. Talk me through those three, and I'll try and get to some others if I can. Well, you know, Ford just continues to be one of those names that's been grinding to the upside, along with GM, Scott. We've had option activity in both of those two names for a while now. I'm in both those names, and I, I like them. I actually did just get out of GM, but I, I still like it, and I'm looking for the next opportunity to get in there. I think that there are opportunities in the airline space for sure. I was in Jets for a while. The encompasses an ETF, but specifically, I like American Airlines. I like what they've been able to do. Obviously, a lot of these names have been moving to the upside in a, in a nice, strong way, which is why I feel a little bit more comfortable right now for sure in the options because I thought about maybe adding some stock here, but I just decided to stick with the options just because of the fact that we have had some pretty nice moves to the upside from some of these airlines. And then BlackBerry, this is a name that, you know, it's it's kind of that name from the past, and it, it, it kind of got caught up in that, that whole 
um, activity with GameStop and a lot of these various other names, the AMCs, the other, it really wasn't quite like those names in terms of short interest and so forth. But I still think this is a name that it was in the past, but it's coming up. And I think there's more to the future for this company than people realize. So I thought that made a lot of sense to add that as well. You love trading the options, Pete. That, that's the bottom line. Oh, let me go man. through. Let me go through a couple <laughs> other names for you, if I could. Murphy Oil and yeah. Marathon Oil. Yeah. Tell us. Mm -hmm. Well, I continue to add, as you know, I've been talking about the energy space all the way since November. We continue to have option paper in there, Scott. And I, so I love the energy space. I like the material space, financials. I just continue to add on to some of the regionals or just some of the financial services as well, like a synchrony and so forth. But what I like right now in the energy space is take a look at what's been going on with crude. I mean, this has been a run that started in the upper 30s that we were basically pushing 70 yesterday, had that pullback earlier and, and stocks or, or the barrel right now somewhere close to, let's call it 65. But I'll tell you, Scott, I, I don't think we're over. And I think there's a lot of these companies that are really pumping, doing very, very well. And obviously the results, especially from the quote unquote beta names, those are the names that are really, really performing. Great performance out of the Chevrons, Exxons, but it's those next level beta names where you're getting double digit percentage games, it's, it gains very, very consistently. So I love this energy spot right now as well. All right, good stuff. Uh, you take a little breather, get a glass yeah. of water, something like that, because we're coming back to you for unusual activity in just a moment. Plus, March, Women's History Month, and we're spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Metropolitan Capital CEO Karen Feinerman on her childhood hero. The historical figure that most comes to mind for me is Billie Jean King. And I was a very, very young tennis player when she was near the height of her fame with the Battle of the Sexes match. And I was a tomboy and I loved playing sports and I always wanted to play on the boys team. And when Billie Jean King was playing Bobby Riggs, I have never rooted so hard for any person or any team as I did that day. And I didn't really realize until later all that she had done for women's equality and all the sacrifices that she made. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Jury selection is underway in the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. The first potential juror was dismissed after she revealed that she thought Chauvin did not treat George Floyd fairly. Court records show Dallas police officer Brian Reiser was under investigation for his role in a murder since 2017. That is two years longer than previously acknowledged. Lung cancer screening is now being recommended for millions more Americans. A panel of experts say that high-risk patients should start getting CT scans at age 50 rather than 55. This and other changes will nearly double the number of people eligible for screening. 
Prince Charles visiting a vaccine clinic in London and getting asked about that explosive interview with his son Harry and Harry's wife Meghan Markle. He declined to comment, but just moments ago, Buckingham Palace breaking its silence on that interview, saying that the issues of race brought up by Harry and Meghan are concerning and that they will be addressed by the royal family privately and that on behalf of the Queen, Harry, Meghan, and their son Archie will always be much-loved family members. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, thank you very much. All right, Pete, you're back up. Unusual options activity. What do you see for us today? Well, my first one for you, Scott, is one of the names, kind of what we were talking about earlier in the in this the show. Take a look at what's happened with Tesla for a while now. That the last month, this stock was as high as 850, and this morning it was trading around 600. And at that time, we had a buyer come in, and they were buying the March 685 calls. Well, you can understand why now because the stock has absolutely taken off to the upside, and it's already come back. I, I think it's up about 40 some odd dollars from the time of this trade. But anyway, in the last month, 850 to 600. Now we're back up towards 650 thereabouts, and they bought the 685 calls. They bought 4,500 of those for $9 up to $12. I'm sure they've already moved, Scott, but really just gives you a little idea of what people were looking for in this name and maybe some of those other names that also have been hitting. Bausch is my second one, BHC. A little bit different, not nearly as volatile, but that stock is moving to the upside as well. Go back to January 13th. We had our first of seven unusual option activities here. Stock was trading about 24 at the time. Now the stock's trading just underneath 34, and we've got some aggressive buying, but they're buying this Friday's expiring 33.5 calls there, Scott. About 3,000 of those, and those are going for 85 to 95 cents. So I'm in both these two names right now. The Tesla, that's moved too fast. I, I, would t- I just warned people about that right now. But Bausch certainly has a little bit of room still, and I like what they were buying. They were buying those calls when the stock was just above, so they were in the money calls at the time of the Bosch buying. But, I mean, the Tesla thing surprises me just based on your comments from the top of the show, Pete, where you, you know, you're critical of, of those kinds of stocks that have gone up a lot, but yet you're willing to play ball when you see unusual yeah. activity in them. So how does that square? Right. Well, you, you know, because you will not see me own some of these stocks, Scott, would be the way I'd say it. I'll rent them for a little while. I'll be in the options, and the options certainly triggered. And right now those are trading really, really well. But I will not overstay my in, in any of those kinds of names, whether it's Okta or all those various names. If Josh went through a long list of them, it's it, there are so many out there, Scott, where there is no P.E. There is none. There, the, or there have three and four digits. So those are very difficult for me to say, you know what, I like this name and all the rest of it. I like Tesla. It's a much different trade, I think, than a lot of those other names that we're talking about. Okay, I'm glad you clarified. Uh, I was wondering what was going yeah. on there. All right, Pete, thank you. Up next... <laughs> Send in your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back after this. In celebration of Women's History Month, Halftime Report is celebrating our all-star female panel. Read about their experiences breaking through ceilings in finance, the lessons they learned, and advice for the next generation. Go to cnbc.com slash closing the gap. It's time for Ask Halftime, Investment Committee, answering your questions. First up, Stephanie Link, David in Miami to Steph. Why is Aptiv taking a hit the past couple of weeks? 
Well, stock's still up 10% year-to-date and up 320% from the March lows, so I would kind of call it a victory anyway, but I do still like it very much. Connected car, green technology, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, all the places you want to be within the auto parts sector, so I still like it. Okay. Next up, Josh Brown. Nicholas in New York City says, I just purchased some Berkshire Hathaway shares off of downtown Josh Brown's recommendation. Uh-oh, pressure. What is his price target? Thank you. Big fan. Watch every day. What do you tell him? Nicholas, thank you so much. There's no pressure because I'm not Nicholas's financial advisor. I only come on the show and talk about what I do. I own Berkshire. And what we have with Berkshire is really interesting. It's a confluence of being a very inexpensive stock relative to the markets, a stock that hasn't done much in a long time. And then also you have this technical breakout happening at the same time. And Berkshire happens to be very heavily invested in the reopening uh, economy. So everything from industrial exposure, financial exposure. So I think this thing's going higher. I intend to hold it for the long term. I can envision a scenario where BRKB at, at some point gets to 300. I would acknowledge the fact that Warren at 90, Charlie at 97, God forbid, knock on wood, we get some kind of news on either of their health. That would maybe knock the stock down temporarily, but I would use that as an opportunity to add more, not to sell. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that, Josh. Pete, got a video question for you. Hello, Halftime Report. Uh, this is Mike Guadagno in Orlando, Florida. Love CNBC. Thanks for all the great advice over the years. My question is about the biotechs and healthcare ETFs. Is it too late to get into those sectors? Um, is their big run due to COVID and healthcare concerns already over? Or can we still get in? Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you very much. All right, Pete. Well, Mike, I got to tell you, um, I don't think they are. It, it is over. I think there's still plenty of room. You look at the PEs, you look at the cash flows, you look at the pipelines. I think all of those point to much higher gains. And it's not a COVID story. This is just who they are as companies and what they're able to produce. I like all these names. I'm not much into the ETF side of it. I'd rather be an individual. But XLV does fit in there pretty well. Okay, thank you for that. And Surat, another video question. This one for you. Hi, Scott Wapner. Irene from Ramsey, New Jersey. I love my Disney, but what do you think about AT&T? I think they're a long-term stronghold to collect that dividend. All right, Sarat, I'm giving that to you. Um, I think this is a classic value play. It's a deleveraging story. They're paying off their debt. They're using financial discipline, putting money into HBO Max. Uh, I agree. You're going to Keep it for the dividend, and you get a little bit of multiple expansion. You could get double-digit returns for the next couple of years. All right. Thank you for that. we got a big bounce back for the NASDAQ today. The key levels the futures traders are watching, they'll tell you next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We'll be right back. I hope you'll join me again tonight on The Edge, 6 p.m. Eastern. Sharp opinions, the hottest takes, fierce debates about the biggest players and news in the business world. I will see you in a matter of hours. And tomorrow at noon, don't forget, Brad Gerstner, Altimeter Capital CEO. He's going to join us. We'll get his take on the tech rack. A whole lot more. Looking forward, of course, to that. Let's do final trade. Stephanie Link, you're up first. Stanley Black and Stanley Black and Decker tools and storage is 70% of this company, and Home Depot and Lowe's is 30% of the of the tools and storage business. They had organic growth of 25% last quarter. They keep beating, raising margins are going up. I like the story a lot. Okay, Sarat, what do you have for us today? I like GoDaddy. I liked it up in the high 70s, low 80s. It's back down to uh, 73. 
I think this is a great secular growth story in tech that's been thrown out. Okay, Pete Nigerian. Steph and I were talking about Boeing. She's in the stock. I'm in the options. They continue to buy, Scott. I think it's going higher. Yeah, nice order number today. As Phil was telling us, that stock was leading the Dow. You could see it up by nearly 4%. All right, reform broker, what's your call here? Uh, Berkshire, Berkshire, yeah, Berkshire is not done going up. Uh, I think the stock works for a lot of reasons. Staying long. Okay, seeing uh, those shares getting a lift today, too, by about one and three quarters percent. Let's check the major averages, too. A big day on Wall Street. The Dow hitting a new record high today, good for 276. NASDAQ is the big story, of course, with its bounce back of better than three and a half percent. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.